We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's mailbag time, Ryan. We're not done yet. It's mailbag time. We have a few mail. We have a few in there. If you guys want us to answer your questions, go ahead and get them in now. Because right now we have 10 questions starred. And then John A1 starts us off, Ryan, of course. And he says, is there going to be a battle of tight end? Seems like it's Evan's job to lose type situation. Well, I, I think that, I mean, John, in theory, I think that there's always a competition, right? Like, I think that that breeds greatness. So, is there a competition? Yes, I would say so. Does Mitchell Evans have a little bit of an inside track on it? Yes, I also believe that, right? But I'm hoping that Holton Stace comes into this preseason and into this spring and is ready to go, man, and wants to be the guy. Because ultimately, the great thing about the tight end position is Notre Dame does play a lot of 12 personnel. So there's a lot of opportunity to get two tight ends on the field. You don't have to just have one guy on 100% of the snaps. It's the only volume getter at tight end. So I think that Mitchell Evans does have the inside track to being the top tight end on the on the depth chart. But certainly, I think that there's – I mean, he had three catches last year, right? This isn't like a, Mitchell, you're you're good, man. This isn't like the Michael Mayer treatment where it's like, we don't even need to see you in spring, brother. Like, you're good. Like, we need to see you, Mitchell. You need to compete. There are other talented guys behind you. It's just that Mitchell Evans did have a nice ending to the season. He has had experience. So he has a little bit of the inside track. But guys like Holden Stays are certainly going to play into that competition. Yeah, I'm with you, Ryan. It can be both. It can be a, a battle, but still his job to lose. And I think that's where we are at this point in time. Here's an interesting one from uh, Bailey Brad. He's got two interesting questions about the season. And his first one, Ryan, is says, would you guys be happy with a 10-win regular season? No, I, I wouldn't be happy, Bailey Brad. Because, I mean, at this point, man, I, I've said this a lot. Look, 10 win double digit wins is the like the kind of the baseline for me. Like you need to get there, right? Like you need to get there. But Notre Dame for me at this point is you need to start competing for national championships. You need to start making the playoffs. A 10 and 2 regular season isn't a bad season, obviously, right? Like winning double digit games in a season is not a bad season. Would I be incredibly upset if you go 10 and 2? No. 
But would I be happy about it? I don't think so either, right? Like it's an in-between ground for me. Notre Dame needs to be 11-1, 12-0 to have a chance to win a national championship in about 99% of seasons. So that is where I think Notre Dame needs to be here, is that competing for playoff spots, competing for national championships. That's where I need to be in order to be happy, I guess is the best way to put it. So would I be happy? No, I wouldn't be happy. Would I be like, everything stinks, I hate life? No, I wouldn't be that degree either, right? It's still not a bad season, but it still needs to be the standard now is that you need to compete for national championships. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My feeling on it would somewhat depend. First of all, would I be happy? No. My feeling below that would be depend on on who they lost to and how they lost. And, you know, it, it's kind of like there could be some moral victories. If you're, you know, you beat Ohio State and you, you say beat USC, but you lose to Clemson and a barn burner and you lose to, I don't know, you get upset by Duke the week. After that. Okay, I'm not happy about it, but like it, you showed some progress. I'm just at the point now where. I'm just like you said, I'm tired of the moral victories. You just went out and got one of the better quarterbacks in the country. You got a ton of talent coming back. You've got a lot coming back on defense. There's no excuse not to be better this year. I'm sorry. You get two of the three toughest opponents you have at home. I'm just tired of the excuses. And and again, I didn't like the excuses when Brian Kelly was head coach. And I don't want to, I don't want to hear him when Marcus Freeman's the head coach. I I, I don't. I don't I I'm so over the whole. Oh well, they didn't win because of this excuse or that excuse or whatever. I'm I'm tired of it. Get it done, right? Get it done, and this team has a chance to do that. Now, if they go ten and two, does that mean it's a disaster? Marcus Freeman's not the guy. Blah blah blah. No, we're not going to. Ju- there's 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 a grown up reaction to that. It's not good enough. Here's the positives. Here's what needs to get fixed, and you move forward. That that's how it needs to be. Uh, it's not a you know like well if you don't win a championship, the season's a 
uh, a disaster. Well, that's not that. That sounds good. That's a good cliche to use to motivate your players. It's championship or bust, but that's not realistic. And it also is disrespectful to the work that your kids did put in and your coaches did put put in. You say if they're ten and two, am I happy about it? No. Are there going to be things to build on? Most likely, but then you need to go stink and build on them. That's going to be the big key, and and figure out why did we not get there, and then don't make excuses for it. And that's what I I don't know about Coach Freeman yet. None of us do because he just hasn't had enough time to show it one way or the other. Is is okay? Is he going to make excuses like Brian Kelly did, or is he going to say, "I've got to make some tough choices here"? Hey, if the defense is not good again next year, I got some tough decisions to make. Right? If the offense isn't good enough here, I got some tough decisions to make. And can he make those decisions? None of us know because again, I don't want a coach that just fires everybody after one season. Right? you you got to be careful with that, right? So to me, you know, people talk about got to get the roster right. I think the roster's way better than people realize. Like somebody put on Twitter yesterday, they were showing the, the sequence of plays that led to Tommy Reese going off on Drew Pine in the Cal game. It was just a disaster. I mean, just I, the quarterback play last year was so bad for most of the year. And the injuries at receiver, and they're, they're, and that team still won nine games last year against a pretty competitive schedule. Now, it was a disappointing season, but they're, a, a lesser roster is maybe not a bowl team next year with all the stuff that Notre Dame went through last year. Agreed. And, and the schedule they went through last year. And so, this I've said it for a long time, this roster is better than people realize. I said it in 2016, oh, Notre Dame just doesn't have players. Well, the next year they went 10-3, and three, against seven or eight ranked teams on their schedule with the same exact players they had the year before, except they lost some dudes, right? They lost some of their better players. They lost, uh, you know, equanimity. Well, actually, he he came back, but his head still wasn't right in 2017. But, like, they lost some really good players from that 2016 football team that they could have really used that next year, lost them, and still went out and won 10 games. The talent was better than it played. The talent was better last year than it played. And so I don't think the town is where Georgia is. I've never said that, but I'm just, I'm tired of the excuses of, well, we don't look like this team, so we can't be this. Oh, we don't have enough 300 plus pound defense. Hey, did you watch Notre Dame and Georgia go toe to toe? Did you watch Notre Dame be just as good? They were the only difference in those two games was quarterback and wide receiver and quarterback in the first in both games, wide receiver in the first game because the receivers just made a bunch of mistakes and dropped balls and all that kind of stuff in that game. But Georgia didn't overwhelm Notre Dame in the trenches. I'm, it just There's this thing, well, this is what I see from Georgia and Bama, so this is what Notre Dame has to be. And that's that's never been true. They're a different type of team. They the, the, stop, stop buying in the excuses about the roster's not there. That's what, we've, that's what Brian Kelly was great at. He was great at convincing Notre Dame fans that the roster wasn't where it needed to be. And and it was all it was BS then and it's BS now. Because again, they don't play Georgia in the regular season. They don't play Alabama in the regular season. They don't play those teams where you need these 330-pound monsters to be good. You don't need that against Clemson. They just look at what they just did to Clemson last year. You think the reason you didn't beat USC because you didn't have enough 300 pounders in the lineup? You know, you can argue maybe that was an issue for you in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, but your your issue against Ohio State in the fourth quarter was your offense, not your defense. 
And so I think the roster's there. I just think they need to put it all together and stop making excuses, Ryan. That's the thing I'm just, I'm tired of is just, well, but, 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 no more buts. Get it done. Get it done. That's what I want to see. And, and I believe Marcus Freeman has that attitude. I do. I just want to see it play out that way. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Do you think the roster's, I mean, again, is the roster where Georgia is? No, I'm not saying that, but they don't play Georgia. In the regular season this year, I mean, I think, I, I, I think everything. Need, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's context to everything. Like, yeah, you need to constantly get keep improving. But like, I I've, I've also I've always been on the wavelength, and I fought back tremendously on a lot of people that you know just go with the oh Notre Dame has no speed, Notre Dame has this. I'm just like that's not true. Like it's it's not it's not. There's been some parts that have held it back. There's no doubt about that. Both coaching and players in certain spots, but. Notre Dame has enough talent to compete for a national championship, man. Like I, they do. I, I've always thought that over the last few years. It's just there's been some parts of the team, and I say team is to encompass coaching and playing at all in the spots. There's been some spots that just haven't been good enough. I think we see that perfectly eye to eye. Or coached so, good enough to correct. your point. Like to your point. Yeah. So we'll see. Here's a, a follow up to that a little bit from Jason Smith. Does ten and two with really close losses feel different than just ten and two and barely competitive in the two losses big time? And that's kind of what I meant by who do they lose to and how? Right, right. Like if you if you go one and two against Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, let's say you beat USC and you lose to Ohio State in a barn burner and you lose to Clemson in a hard fought game. There's no shame in those things. In regard to those are those are things you can say. Hey guys, you're you're progressing. Brian Kelly was never competitive in those games, right? So it's progress, but it's still not good enough. I'm sorry, you're Notre Dame. You should be beating Ohio State at home. I'm, I'm sorry. You just you just should. Is it easy? Heck no, it's not easy. But if you're the kind of program you say you are, then that's something you should do, correct? And so, you know, I, I want to I see those things. But if that's how you lose, I'm disappointed in 10 and 2, but I'm also encouraged by you made, you made a progress. You made progress. Now it's go make more and win that game next time. I think those are the things that I look at and say, um, yeah. And, and, and I just, yeah. It's, all, it's and, also, and anyone saying nine and three is the, is the minimum. Get out with that. Please get out with that. Don't give me stuff about staff turnover. They had less, less staff turnover this year than they had last year. Less. Tur- they've lost two coaches. We're acting like, excuse me three they lost three coaches from last year's staff we're acting like notre dame turned over their entire staff three coaches they're they bring a whole lot more back this year than they brought back last year from the coaching staff ryan so i don't understand what this they brought back 70 percent of their coaching staff yeah yeah last year they brought back what tommy reese mike mickens chris o'leary in the same roles they had the year before that's it right and then you had Marcus Freeman got promoted to head coach. He had seven new assistant coaches last year. Seven. You're going to have three this year. That's it. So, no, I'm sorry. Nine and three because of staff turnover is not acceptable. I'm sorry. It's just not. It just isn't. So I, I, that means I, I, you lost to every good team you play, basically. Yeah. I love I love that the fan base is now also looking at it like how many people were so negative on Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator. Now it's like, oh, oh my god, we lost Tommy Reese. I'm just like, come on, man, be consistent. Yeah. Like, just be consistent. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, it's kind of where we are. But I mean, I, I think that for me, I'm right there with you in the fact that it, it was disheartening for a few years under Coach Kelly. 
when you you were beating everybody you should have beaten, and then it would kind of get your hopes up a little bit that like this is the year, man, where they're going to beat one of those big teams, right? One of those top ranked teams, and then every single time, just about wasn't even a competitive football game in the end. It just wasn't. And this past year, right, nine and four, disappointment, no doubt. We've talked about it a ton, yeah. but you still clobbered Clemson, a, a talented team. You were in the game with Ohio State in the fourth quarter. You could have won you that football led game more potentially. Than they led in yeah. that game, by the way. You were competitive against Ohio State, and then honestly, USC ended up being an eleven point game. But like, if you watch that game, they're like one or two plays away from that being a completely flipped game. Like at that point, so. I will say this: that was the one team that outplayed Notre Dame from start to finish was USC. The, well, let me rephrase: Marshall to a degree, but Notre Dame took a fourth quarter lead against Marshall and had two possessions to break it open. USC is right. the one team that just Notre Dame never like. To your point, Rand, there were a couple plays that if they go differently, it's a different ball game, but they never went differently. Right. Like against Stanford, you could say, hey, you had a fourth quarter lead against Marsh. You had a fourth quarter lead against Ohio State. You led up until less than a minute to go in the third quarter. Against USC, I don't I don't think Notre Dame ever led that game. I don't like, think so USC scored on their first possession and Notre Dame didn't. I mean, they never led that game. That was the one team to me that outplayed Notre Dame start to finish, in my view. Shouldn't have, but they did. Sure. And you had bad game plans, especially on defense. Early game plan against USC, I didn't like on offense. I, I I thought the offensive game plan got better into the game. Defensive game plan just was bad, never got better. I mean, just they never adjusted and, uh, in and, ways that were, were effective. And, me, and meanwhile, the one game during the Kelly era where we're like, yeah, we beat a ranked team is like Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, Tyler Davis, like a lot of premier players, right? I'm just like, yeah. Things are changed around here, man. Is it going to be end-all, be-all, like national championship level? Is it going to be consistent? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I think it can be. And I think at least the change was needed at the end of the day. The change was needed. Yep. Next go to the next question here. We got some more from – we got another one from Bailey Brad that I that I want to bring up, Ryan. And that is, okay, how about this? Which game is more important for Notre Dame to win this year, Ohio State or USC? I think this one's pretty th- easy, Ryan. What's yours? I think it's Ohio State. I Agreed. think it's Ohio State. Why? Yeah. Because it's it's the Midwest implications. It's that USC has been in playoff games. They've been competitive, you know, trying to win national championships. USC is still rebuilding, right? Like they were coming off a four and eight season. They obviously had a big turnaround in year one under Lincoln Riley, but they're still building to be in a championship level type of team. Ohio State has been that team in pretty recent years, right? So the Midwest implications, the fact that they've kind of been there a little, obviously a lot more than what USC has been recently. I think that you get a lot more of a momentum boost out of beating Ohio State right now than you beat USC. Agree. I think it's also a little bit of a mental hurdle that you have against Ohio State right now, where they're just, they're a team you haven't beat in decades. I mean, I don't think they've, they haven't beat Ohio State since I've been alive. Now, in fairness, I think they've only played like five times, four or five times since I've been alive. But, uh, you know, they I think Notre Dame has only won like two games against Ohio State. I think they're in the 20s. I believe they've only played seven times. Yeah, they're they're two and five against them. They won in the 30s. Sorry, they won in 35 and 36. And then they didn't play again until 95 and 95 and 96 were home and home. Notre Dame lost both of those. Shouldn't have lost one of them. 
Then they lost in the Fiesta Bowl in 06, lost in the Fiesta Bowl in 2016, and then, of course, lost last year. So, uh, you know, USC, if you lose to them this year, that's that stinks. That's a bummer. But you know you can beat USC. You've beaten USC. It's your rivalry game. But Ohio State's the one that I think is is the has the bigger impact on where your program is. I'll say this. I think – Beating Ohio State increases the odds you beat Ohio beat USC as well, because I think it's like the Stanford game in 2012. Ron, I've said this for for a long time. Uh, if you you go back and look at 2012, Notre Dame you know beat Navy early and then had to come back and beat Purdue and and he had the ugly win over Michigan. But hey, you got it done. That Stanford game is when Notre Dame became a completely different team. Because Stanford was the giant they couldn't slay. They hadn't beaten Stanford since 2008. So no, the only fifth-year seniors had been on a team that had beaten Stanford. Manti had never beaten Stanford. Like, Zach Martin had never beaten Stanford. Like, it was all the fifth-year seniors that were part of the 08 class. It's the only ones that had beaten Stanford. Stanford was a big-time top 10, top 5 team under Harbaugh and then David Shaw. Notre Dame had, and all, Notre Dame had kind of gotten whooped by him. In the, I mean, they got outplayed the year before at Stanford. They got destroyed by Stanford in 2010. Under Kelly, they had gotten beat convincingly twice by Stanford. You go to 2012, once they beat that, that was the dragon they had to slay. Once they beat Stanford, there was no stopping that team in the regular season. No stopping. I mean, I wasn't as worried about Oklahoma. They weren't, weren't, they weren't worried about Oklahoma. They weren't worried about Miami. They weren't worried about anybody else the rest of the year. And and to me, Ryan, I think it's one of those things where that's the kind that could be the kind of win that could springboard your season or the kind of loss that just completely takes away your confidence. And that's why I think the Ohio State game is the most important. And yeah. so it's not quite answering the question, but just looking at it differently, that game to me is the one that has to that's the game that maybe springs you forward where you can beat USC and Clemson because of the confidence you gain. And I think Notre Dame is a team that with a growing confidence, but until they win that kind of game, this team's never going to truly believe that they can be that team. And the Stanford game did that for the 2012 team and Ohio state game could do that for this team, or it could completely sap their confidence and say, yeah, we're just not that team. That's Ohio State fans are also pretty intolerable a lot of the time. So, with the exception of Archer, sure, exception of Archer, yeah. But no, you're. I I said I said most of the time. So you know, there's a little wiggle room there. Yeah, Yeah. Archer, Archer's good peoples. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, Uh, David Lowe says, "Good Lord, Malik just said he would take Spencer Rattler and Jaden Daniels over Sam Hartman." This Jaden Daniels one I get from Malik because I think Jaden Daniels is much more like Malik as a player than Sam Hartman is. Dual threat. So yeah. that one I'm fine yeah. with. Uh, and, and there are some offenses that you're going to want Jaden Daniels over Sam Hartman. If you're an offense that really requires a quarterback to be able to run, you're going to want that, for example. Yeah. Uh, if if Colin Klein was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, for example, you may want a Jaden Daniels over a Sam Hartman because of the fact he uses the quarterback to run the way he does. In this particular offense, I don't think it's as needed, so I would personally take Sam Hartman over both of them. The Spencer Rattler one, I, I didn't hear Malik say this, so I'm only commenting on your your post, David. I, I don't get that one at all. I mean, maybe he saw him in a Lee 11 where he looked great, but Spencer Rattler is one of the most mentally – Frat, I'll say this because I don't like the word soft, mentally fragile 
quarterbacks in the country. How about that? He He's is. man. He could throw a football about as well as anyone, man. But like he just hey, Ryan. He's he a top those... five quarterback nationally in a in shorts. Yes, I mean he, he just he, does... throw, he can spin it, buddy. Yeah, he can spin it. Unfortunately, the quarterback position is built off of intangibles, which is things right. that are kind of built, you know, in your mind, in the day to day, like that type of stuff. And in that capacity, Sam Hartman's way higher than what Spencer Rattler is. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, I think we saw, I mean, I, th- I think that the South Carolina game against Notre Dame last year was the perfect representation of Spencer Rattler. Looked really smooth in the first half, man. Made some big plays. No pass he- rush. They're winning. When when great. stuff got more difficult in the second half, I feel like there was a little bit of folding that happened. You know, a little bit of gun shyness, right? And we see that from him all the time. Yeah. So if if Malik's comments were Spencer Rattler and Jane Daniels are both more talented than than Sam Hartman, sure, man, absolutely, physically, I mean, talented, physically right. yeah, right. but better quarterback. Nah, nah. Yeah. Sam Hartman's a better quarterback than Spencer. I would entertain the Jane Daniel one. Like we could have a conversation about that one, yeah. but Sam Hartman's a better quarterback than Spencer Rattler. I mean, Spencer Rattler wasn't even a better quarterback than Tyler Buckner on when they played each other. I mean, head yeah. to head isn't the end all be all, but you know, like you said, Ryan, um, when 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 conditions are perfect, Spencer Rattler looks good. He's about as good as anybody in college football yeah. when things are going well. I mean, but yeah. just yeah, yeah. But that's not football. That, right. That's not football. You can have a couple game stretch like that, but you're not going to be that way over the course of a season. But you and you could even see it in his face, Ryan, at the at the in the bowl game. The frustration, how he just he didn't know what to do. He didn't know he couldn't find answers. He couldn't put the team on his shoulders. Like you know, when Tyler Buckner throws that pick six, you just saw how he came back, just calm. Like that's ah, a stupid yeah. throw by me. That's my bad. And then next drive, he just leads him right down the field. Now they ran it, but he also made some plays, and you go for a touchdown. That's the difference, right? That's the intangible part that you talk about. Is he a better arm talent than Tyler Buckner? Sure. For sure. Is he a better quarterback yeah. than Tyler Buckner? He wasn't on that day. It's more proven, but he wasn't on that day. Because Tyler Buckner showed me when stuff hits the fan, he's getting hit in the face. He's making turnovers. He's not going to get rattled. He's going to keep battling. And when you if you give him the ball at the end of the game, look out. And that's what he did. Whereas Spencer Rattler, his team was, I mean, it folded. And if it wasn't for the pick six late in the game, that's a that's a route at the end of that game because yep. it would have put them up 45-31. You know South Carolina was about to go three and out on that next series, Ryan. You know they were because they had no momentum. Next, Who knows? It could be 52-31 to 31 next time that Spencer Rattler gets the football if it's not for that pick six. Yeah, But one guy handled that adversity well. His team won. One guy didn't. His team lost. And, Ryan, that's exactly what you said in almost every show we had leading into that game about Spencer Rattler. This kid throws it like a million bucks, but if it's a close game or if you're hitting him, he will fold. That's exactly he, what happened. He has a very unfortunate name for playing quarterback because there's a lot yes. of rat rattled <laughs> jokes that could come off of his name. Yeah. Yes, yes, oh. yes. All right. Next question is, here's one from David Lowe along that same conversation. Uh, he says, Brian, would you rate Sam Hartman? I'll throw this to you as well, Ryan. I'll let you answer it first if you'd like to, if you need to think about it for a second. But, Brian, would you rate Sam Hartman preseason top five quarterback? It, on the, off the top of my head, he would be somewhere in the probably the top five to six area, somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, I'm trying to think it out loud a little bit. Caleb Williams, Drake May. Michael Penix had a really nice season this past year. 
I mean, after that, I mean, he's in the conversation for like four, five, six, somewhere in that ballpark. I, I think we lose sight of the fact that the guy threw 77 touchdowns in the last two years. He's thrown 110 touchdowns in his career. Like, it's pretty. he's been a pretty dang productive quarterback, right? right. So, yeah, I think he's definitely in the top five conversation. If not top six, he's somewhere. He's firmly in the top ten. Like, that's not even a conversation. He here's the way I look at it, Ryan. You tell me if you if you here's my top guys that I know for sure, barring good health, are in my top five next year. And there's four of them. Um, well, there's three of them. I'll say this: Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Michael Penix. Those guys three for sure are top five guys. Then there's to me a couple guys that that are in that conversation for the next two. I, I think Jordan Travis is the more dynamic player. But when you watch them, those two go toe to toe last year. Sam Hartman outplayed them. I mean, he just he just did. And Wake Forest won that football game. So, you know, to me, that that Jordan Travis and Sam Hartman are probably uh, the next two in line for me in that conversation. But you know, you have a guy like Bo Nix whose production was outstanding last year. Bo's only really done it for one year for me. Uh, I think he jumped up a lot of rankings, but I got to see it for more. Uh, than a year and I got to see it in some big games Bo had some chances to win some games last year couldn't couldn't get it done uh, you know a guy that I that I really like as a college quarterback Ryan that that his him being banged up a lot last year overshadowed really good play when he was healthy it's KJ Jefferson yeah KJ Jefferson when he was healthy last year was a really good football player and they were a completely different team I'll tell you this right now if KJ Jefferson is not hurt they beat LSU Oh, easily, easily. That horn, that horn speed kid couldn't do anything against them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, you're talking about a kid that completed 68% of his throws, uh, averaged 8.8 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns, five picks, and also rushed for 640 yards and nine touchdowns. I mean, that's 33 touchdowns and five picks and in an offense where they don't really necessarily ask him to do a ton. I'm curious how he's going to do this year under the new OC. It's going to be a little different deal, but uh, – you know, he, he 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 did some really nice things last year, Ryan. Some really he nice did. things. Is he top five? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like there's a lot of guys like him, uh, Bo Nix, that are in that conversation. You know, t- how's Tanner Mordecai going to be this year in a Big Ten school? Is he going to, you know, be better if he's surrounded by better players? You know, does Ta- a- Ta- Talia had a good year last year too. Yeah, Vailoa, he had yeah a good year. at times, at times. Yeah. I mean, I think the Michigan game still showed me a little bit of his issues where he can make some plays, but then he also is going to make some bad turnovers in some of those big yeah. games. You know, Cameron Rising, he's just – he's not a guy that I put in that kind of conversation. He's not one of those dudes for me. Spencer just, Sanders. Just a, just a good college quarterback. Yeah, Spencer Rising. Sanders yeah. will probably put up some numbers, but he's not that guy for me. A guy that I'm curious to see if he can bounce back this year with a new OC is Tyler Van Dyke. But then my question there is, they're moving to a bit of an air raid, and I don't know about his skill set fitting that off. I mean, Shannon Doss has been with with um, Dana Holgerson for a long time. I gotta think there's that he's going to keep running the air raid offense. Don't I mean I gotta think that think so. as much as I like, it's, a, it's, pro- it's probably a good decision based on that offensive line as well. But it's yes. <laughs> another conversation. <laughs> Do you love him as a? An air, I mean, not say love him. I, 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 I know you're not as high on him as I am, but do you see his skill set being an air raid type of skill set? I just don't. I, I kind of do. I mean, outside vertical type of air raid, like, yeah, yeah, I don't see why but not. That's not really what Houston does, though, is it? I mean, they, they'll throw some of that, but 
They've always been kind of a quick game, get guys in space, you know, get the ball out quick, be accurate. I just always visioned Tyler Van Dyke as a big-armed downfield thrower, vertical passing game, that kind of thing. And I don't know if, if that version of the air raid really fits it overly well. We'll see. I hope it does because I like I like him as a player. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be – Brennan Armstrong is going to put up really big numbers next year with Robert and I at NC State. It, I don't know if he'll put up numbers like he did at, in, at Virginia because his pass catchers aren't as good as the group he had at Virginia in 2020, yeah. uh, 2021. But I think he'll bounce back to a degree, Ryan. He won't be in my conversation, but there – there's going to be some guys like that. that have Kevin Leary from years. Kentucky. See what he yeah. looks like. Yeah. 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 You know, I think he'll, here's, you're going to laugh at this, but I think he's going to throw for, I think his passing numbers are going to be better than anything Will Levis did the last two years. Ah, nah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. I, yeah. wasn't, a, I wasn't a Will Levis guy. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, if he was at Ohio State or Alabama, though, he'd be the number one overall pick, uh, supposedly, allegedly. Yeah. So, oh, we, you know, you know who's going to be high on everybody's list um, that we haven't mentioned is JJ McCarthy. He's going to be high on a lot of people's lists. I can feel. You it know right what? Now. He's going to get overhyped because of you know they overhyped the Big Ten. But I actually really do like him at Iowa. I do. I think that's going to be. I, I'm, I'm sorry. McCarthy. I'm, sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking of Caden. Caden. Mc, yeah. Caden McNamara. Yeah. JJ McCarthy to me is going to get a lot of hype. He's got to develop a lot as a passer for me. Because even the big plays he made against Ohio State, he was thrown to wide open dudes off play action. Yeah, he's got to show me he can he can process defenses. Because I think TCU exposed him a little bit. They threw some coverages at him. They dropped some linebackers underneath certain things. Like I think they confused him a little bit. He still showed his playmaking ability and and all that. But they got to turn him loose a little bit this year, Ryan. He's going to get a lot of hype. You are correct on that. I thought for some yeah. reason I went right to Cade McNamara. He's the guy that I was referring to. Uh, I I think he's going to be a great addition for them. And rock getting Eric All as a yeah. tight, but like rock solid for them is a, and, and that's all he is, right? Mm-hmm. Is a massive upgrade no over what they. Before. I, I, gu- I guarantee. I guarantee. Kate back the mirror has a low interception total and a decent completion percentage. He just keeps it moving. You know what I mean? Like efficiency, efficient, efficient. Yep. Which they need in that offense. They do. Yep. Here's my question for you, Ryan. Gen- genuine yeah. question. I'm curious what you feel about that. Which team has the bigger upgrade at quarterback? Not who's better of the two quarterbacks, but who is the bigger upgrade over what they had last year? Cade McNamara over Spencer Petrus or Sam Hartman over Drew Pine? <laughs> Probably McNamara over Petrus, man. Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, Drew Pye still threw like 21 touchdowns or whatever the heck he did last right. year. Mike, he was still fine. Spencer Petrus was a dumpster fire, man. Like, he was a bad quarterback, man. He was bad. Like, he was really bad. So, I'd probably go McNamara just because Spencer Petrus was so bad, man. Like, the reason really I ask bad. is not that I think Petrus was better than better than Drew Pine. He was not. Drew was <laughs> much better. It's more of how much better is Spencer, is Sam Hartman related to Cade McNamara? I agree with you, however. I I think that the gap between, even though I think Sam Hartman is much better than Cade McNamara, the gap between, because like Drew Pine could get you out of a game. Yeah. Like, hey, here here was Drew Pine's job, Musher. Don't screw it up. Right? And and make a couple plays here and there. Drew Pine is like Cade McNamara-ish, right? It's like right. you can do enough point. to win a football game. It, it's yeah. fine. It's not fine. as good as Cade was, but very sure. similar. That's a yeah. good point. That's a very good point. Very good point. 
All right, here's the next one, Ryan, from uh, Archer452. How many combine invites do you think Notre Dame will have in 2024? I have an, I have an article that I'm writing about on this, Archer. I mean, it really it's, – it's very dependent on how many guys declare because there are some underclassmen I think could make things very interesting in that regard. As of today, I would say Joe Waltz is a pretty likely early declaration, right? I mean, he was just an All-American at left tackle. He's going to be a three, a two-and-a-half-year starter, however you want to coin it. He would be one. I think that if Blake Fisher declares for the draft, he will definitely be one. Like, there's no doubt about that. I think Javante Jean-Baptiste from Ohio State will most likely get a combine invite. I think Riley Mills is another one that gets most likely gets a combine invite. After that, it's like, you know, just Jordan Batelho start at Viper this year and make the jump to the NFL? Like, I could see that one being one, right? I, possibly. Cam Hart's obviously another one that I almost skipped over. He's definitely going to get a combine invite. There's no doubt about that one. I'm up to five definites, in my opinion. After that, it becomes, do the running backs declare, right? Does Audric Estimate declare early? Does Logan Diggs declare early? Does Chris Tyree head to the NFL? Those are the question marks right there. And I think if all three of them left, I mean, at least two out of three would definitely get combine invites, if not all three. So, I mean, I think you're looking at five, maybe seven, depending on how people declare, come back, all that type of thing. But I think we're looking about five-ish, give or take, one or two. Yeah, I think I think that, I think that bodes well for Notre Dame in a lot of ways, Ryan, because if you yeah. look at it, you said Hartman – you said I actually didn't say Hartman, so take make that okay. six. Six definitely. <laughs> yeah. You you lose Hartman for sure yeah. next year. Yep. And you lose Caleb Smith, who could potentially be one. It's possible. Um you lose Cam Hart probably, right? Yeah. Outside of that. I'm trying to think, Ryan. I don't know that anyone else on Notre Dame's roster is completely out of eligibility last year, next year, of your it's expected starters. Javante Jean-Baptiste, I mentioned. I don't know if you mentioned him. He he, has, is, he, is he definitely out of eligibility? Isn't he no, a sixth year? sixth year now. Yes, I think he's he a sixth year, yeah. So, but he's got to win a starting job first. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, but So you'd have him, who you'd only have for a year, but – I mean, Howard Cross can come back. All your linebackers could come back. I don't expect DJ Brown to start at safety, so I don't. I don't count him. Uh, Thomas right, Harper, right. if he starts Riley in the nickel, Mills. would be one. But Riley Mills can come back the, yeah. the following year. Like what I'm saying is, like, there's not a lot of dudes that are just out of eligibility next season. There just aren't many. Like final year guys, yeah. right? Yeah. Which makes that number a little bit tricky because it's like, okay, well, if Xavier Watts has a breakout year or something like that, you know, what I mean, you could always have a guy like that. Not that I would anticipate him leaving, but that's where the numbers are going to come from is it's going to have to come from underclassmen that declare with eligibility yes. remaining to your point, Joe Walt, Blake Fisher, the running backs, uh, running backs. It's going to have to come from guys like that and, and, and not guys who are just done. So, I mean, that's just kind of, that's kind of where I'm at on that one. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what those numbers are. I think the more interesting one, did you mention Chris Tyree? I did. Yep. Okay. The more interesting one is going to be the next year, the 2024, Five, uh, 2025 combine is going to be really interesting to see if Notre Dame has a lot more guys there. Because yeah. that could get, that could get, I mean, because that's, you might have Benjamin Morrison coming out. You'll definitely have the safeties coming out then. Uh, you'll have definitely whatever offensive lineman doesn't come out. Definitely the running backs will be coming out. Potentially some receivers will be coming out. Potentially Mitchell Evans. Although, I, again, I think he's more of a four to five year guy. 
Riley Mills for sure, if he doesn't come out this year, would be coming out that year. It's going to be very yeah. interesting uh, to see I, to see how that goes. I will say this, Archer, to your question. I think Notre Dame has more players in the 2024 scouting combine than what they had this year. They had, they had four this year. I would say they have at least five, though. I would say that. That's, yeah. my, that's, that's my take. I don't think it's hot either. It's just a take. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Zeke Carell, we don't have on there because we anticipate Zeke Carell probably coming back the following year. And and he'd yeah. have to I, – I don't know if he'd be a combine guy for me, even if he does leave after this year. It, he'd have to take just, a nice jump. Yeah. 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 Uh, call me Ty any with a question, any chance that estimator digs go pro after this year? Could you see both leaving, which is kind of similar to what you had mentioned with the combine, but thoughts on that specifically, Ryan, call me Ty. Every time a running back has a draftable grade and they can leave after three years, I say go leave personally. The shelf life is something that we talk about a ton running backs. Not a ton of them get to second contracts. So beneficially for the individual player, Starting that clock as early as possible is a very good idea. Could one of the running backs go pro after next year? Yes, they definitely could. I mean, Audrick Estime, Logan Diggs, whoever decides to make that jump. Could both of them? It's possible. I think that's a pretty rare thing, though. You don't usually see two running backs declare early on the same team. Like That doesn't happen a ton. Usually it's like a guy's a senior or a guy's an underclassman. Like Then they go, right? Like You don't usually see two guys – and just declare early like that, that's a pretty rare feat. But I would say it's, you know, you have some chance that it's one, less of a chance that it's two, but it's certainly possible. I mean, they're both very good football players who will have NFL futures, in my opinion. Because if I if I remember, yeah, because so like... The last yeah. one I can remember off the top of my head was like Darren McFadden and Felix Jones as juniors. Like That's the last one I can really remember. I'm yeah, sure like try, more trying to think of years where two big-time backs came out the same year. Like Georgia had two big-time backs come out the same year, but they were both seniors. Sonny Michelle yes. and uh, Nick Chubb, they were both seniors. Uh, and and neither of them had redshirted. I mean, so they, they had no choice. They were gone. Team. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't remember the last time you saw two guys on the same yeah. roster come out early. Felix Jones, Derek McFadden. That's the yeah. last one I can remember. It's the yeah, last one. That's interesting. Yeah. They, they both went round one. Didn't Felix Jones get picked by the Cowboys in the first yeah, round? 20-something so or something? Yeah. So dumb. All right. Let's go to the next question here from David Lowe. David says, Brian and Ryan, what freshman receiver would you say has the best chance of playing time this year? I, I think you and I have the same order on this year, Ryan. Yeah. You go rank them one to three of the early enrollees. Yep. Jaden Greathouse, number one, because I just think he's the most physically advanced. And I know that um, from the sounds of it, his injury stuff is he's getting back pretty well from that, all that stuff. So I think he'll be a go for most of spring. Rico Flores would be number two, just because I think he is also advanced from a route running perspective and the ability to kind of, I think he could do a little bit of, of multiple things for you. And Braylon James has the profile as far as like the speed, the height to play for you pretty early, but he's just not as, he's not as technically advanced as those guys are. So long-term Braylon James could be a superstar. I just think short-term guys like Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores just have a little bit higher floor than Braylon. Yeah. Braylon to me is more, uh, he's more Chase Claypool than he is Michael Floyd. Meaning Chase should have played more as a freshman than he did, but he was super raw, incredibly talented. Michael Floyd was incredibly talented, but he was ready to play the minute he stepped foot on campus in Notre Dame. He just was physically, technically, strength-wise, ready to play. Braylon Lee time. However, I Braylon James is not a kid that I am going to say doesn't have a chance because he's got the one thing, Ryan, that can trump all that other stuff. 
speed and explosiveness. I put them together into one thing. You like how I did that? Because I saw started thinking the one after the after I said one. But those two things, I guess you could say, uh, are can be a trump card for a guy to just say, "Hey, look, we just need that skill set for ten snaps a game." Yeah, right. But um, you know, whereas the other guys physically they're ready to play, but they may be behind other guys that are similar players. Braylon brings something that not a lot of other guys in the roster have. I don't sure. think it'll be enough necessarily this year, but if he can make a big jump technically in the spring and summer. He could surprise us, but right now, of what we know, I agree with your your order uh, yeah. of preference. But and we and I'm sure you agree with what I'm saying is if Braylon really makes strides this offseason, he immediately jumps to the top, uh, jump at the top of that list as far as the guy that has the best chance of playing because he brings that one skill set that nobody else has. Yeah, and that is just burnt. He's a burner for that size. No doubt about it. Next question here, Mister Roberts from Bailey Brad: What freshman breakout would have the biggest impact? on the 2023 season. That's a really interesting way of asking that question. Not like as whose emergence could have the biggest impact on this team from the freshman class. That is season. very interesting. It's very interesting. I've got an interesting one. I'm curious to see, to hear, see what you think when I, when I say it, I got one on each side of the ball, Ryan. So. I think, I think for me defensively, this, I guess this is probably be a little bit of a wild card one. Devin Houston might be an interesting one. Yeah. I, I think cause I mean, he showed up That's at 6'4", six, six, 282 pounds, right? He's listed right now, and you don't have a ton of size on the interior defensively. You need to find some bigger bodies. Devin Houston's a young man that I think could come in and could play, man. Like, he's 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 just one of those really sound football players who has length, he has size, and he's a good athlete for the position as well, so – when you kind of mold that together, I wouldn't be shocked if he plays. I wouldn't be shocked if he plays. No. Like I'm not saying like starter day one, but I'm saying like finds a rotational opportunity inside in the defense. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he does that. He was mine on defense. Yeah, uh, I'd say I'd say he he's as far as I mean now. Look, there's other guys who could could play, but like if if Christian Gray breaks out, I don't know if he necessarily moves the needle a ton because they're kind of loaded there already, <laughs> right? You know. Uh, he's the one that plays at a position that you say, boy, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a position where they have anyone like him. Right. Like he plays the game a lot like Howard Cross does in my opinion, but he's three inches taller and already 20 pounds heavier. Right. I mean, is that, is that a fair player positional comp, you know, like skill set comp? Yeah. Uh, You know, he, he brings a lot to the table. I mean, look, you could, but honestly, you could say any of the four defensive alignment. If one of those four breaks out, the reason I, the reason we're going with Devin Houston, I think Ryan is because he's the pure inside guy of that group. Yes, yes, and that's where the need is greater in my view. Yep. Offensively, this is a little bit of a tougher one. I, I have one, but offensively, offensively, it's a little bit off the radar. So, like, I'm thinking if there is a scenario where maybe one of the guards isn't playing really well, and then all of a sudden Charles Jagasaw is there in the summer or kind of early on in the season, and you're like, let's make the switch. And then all of a sudden, you now have 6'6", 330-pound Blake Fisher, 6'8", 320-pound Joe Alt, and you have another 6'6-plus, 325-pound behemoth. That might push you over the fact of yeah. like, hey, man, top five group, but like maybe that's the best group in all of college football. Like and, That and might be, man. And don't be shocked if Billy Shrouth is 310-plus. 
Exactly. Don't be shocked by that. Zeke's going to be the small guy in like 305 or 308 (laughs) or whatever. He's just like, all right. (laughs) A little midget over here. Zeke is only 305. Uh, He was my pick too on offense because, again, biggest impact. If Charles Jagasaw forces his way onto the field where he's just too good not to play, man, like you've got. You've got a massive physical offensive line. I'm not predicting it. I think I think he'll need time technically, but man, he's got some tools. I mean, he's my number one player in the country in the class, right? He's the only five star in the class, so he's got a ton of tools. He'd be my pick there too. Would there be a number two for you? I, I my number two is a little bit of a, an outside the box one. I'll say it the way you think about it. How about that? Sure. sure. It's Jeremiah Love because I feel like if Jeremiah Love force his way onto the field. What does that say about how good Jeremiah Love is? <laughs> right? Point. Yeah. And and then he brings such a unique skill set. Like he does a lot of what Chris Tyree does, but he does it in like a 5 inches taller, 5 to 10 pound heavier package, right? And so if for some reason he broke out, you could use him in so many different ways that would add to and complement the guys you already have in the backfield. I think he could have a really big impact. Now, I don't, again, I'm not predicting it because the position is so loaded, but he he would be one that would be fascinating if for some reason he was just, oh my gosh, that guy's too good not to play. You know, right. like that, that would be fun to watch. Yeah. I, I don't, watch. I, that one's a better pick than mine. I was just thinking about one of the wide receivers, but like that's, I don't think it really moves the needle a ton just because there are other talented players on the roster. It's not like there's one guy coming in that it's just like, you don't have that, right? Like it'd be great if Braylon James broke out, right? But you will have a bunch of outside receivers with length that can win vertically. Like you have some of those guys, right? Like that could change the the conversation a little bit, but like for me, that's taking a step up and that's great, but it's not like transforming anything. I think Charles Jagasaw transforms things potentially. Like you could turn – a good offensive line into a great one. Like you can really level up with that type of dude. And I also think if it's Charles too, if Charles does make that type of jump early on, then it's like such a, like if he is a starting left guard, let's say, right. It's such an easy transition from 2023 to 2024 to say like Joe Walt declared early Charles one step out, buddy. That's all you got. You know what I mean? Like, so right. yeah, Jeremiah loves a good one though, man. Cause that kid has some special, special well, ability. <laughs> And that's what I'll say is if Braylon James, let's just say he grew up in a hurry and he was this junior year version this year, I do think he would move the needle just because he you do have you're right, Ryan. They have other vertical players, but none of those yeah. those other guys are vertical players because of their size. He would be a vertical player because of his size, and he's just he's the Fast. clearly the fastest outside receiver that they have, in my opinion. Pure outside yeah. receiver. So I would say that would be it. But I, I just think with Jeremiah, you can just get him the ball so many different ways that that's why I would go with him over, over Braylon. Is Braylon the fastest receiver on the team in general? Maybe. It might be Lorenzo. Might be. Him or Lorenzo. It's close, right? Yeah. yeah. I would love yeah, to see them race. Man, That would be a good race, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, that'd be a really good one. John Mayernich asks, will you staffers be taking a morale day and group trip to go see Scream 6? So first of all uh, – that would be hard to do because Sean lives in Chicago. Ryan lives in New Jersey. So uh, we won't be getting together for a movie. And if we did, it wouldn't be for Scream 6 for me. I I, I watched the first Scream, and it was all right, and I just never had an interest to see all the others. I didn't I didn't realize they had six of them. I, I was about to say that I had no idea that there were six Screams, man. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I think I stopped after the second one. I'm just was, like, yeah. It was never my cup of tea. 
Yeah. I've I've seen the second one on, but I've never like sat down and like watched the whole thing through. I just it was not my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, I think probably the next movie I'll go see in about a month from now, the movie Nefarious is releasing, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. Very much looking forward to seeing. There's a my wife really wants to go see Ryan. You're gonna laugh at this. My wife's begging me to take her to see 80 for Brady. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is 80 It's for this movie. It's supposedly based on a true story. These four old ladies that uh-huh. go on this trip to go see Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. And it, it, it's like got Sally Field and Jane Fonda and Lily. It looks actually – it looks funny, but I just don't know if I actually want to pay to go see that movie. That's but you'll funny. have to DVR it. It looks, it, looks, it looks kind of funny. But my wife's begging me to take her to that. But um, I may go see Jesus Revolution that's still out. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to have time to go see that. But I may go see that one. But – um yeah we we won't uh we won't be doing that it would be fun though like if we if we all were covering a bowl game to go to go hang out and go to a movie if there was a good one out we should should go see 80 for brady apparently you go my wife or my dad uh my dad went with me to the fiesta bowl well both the last two fiesta bowls i took i paid I, i brought my dad down with me and but the first one against ohio state was when um one of the new star wars one of the the latest phase of star i think it might have been the first one what what 2015 was when the first one came out, right? Sounds of right. The new phase, I think. Yeah. So we went and saw that. That was fun. So we saw that. Down the first one wasn't bad, and then just got very bad. Uh, lame, lamer, yeah. lamer. Yeah, yeah. they ha- it had so much potential. It really it like, did. I the first man. one had a lot of potential, man. I was like, this, this is going to totally make up for how bad the last one was because like what, the what first we had like one cool character and they killed him off in the first episode season. That was Qui Gon Jinn was like the only yes. character I liked. Obi Wan Kenobi. Ewan McGregor did an okay job as Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he that did. was about it. He did. But, like, I'm sorry, Natalie Portman's character was nauseating. Hayden Christ, what's his name? Hayden Christensen. Christensen yeah. Awful. Uh, Jar Jar Banks was terrible. Just the whole, like, the, 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 his boss that goes, like, what, what, what are we doing this for? Like, this is the stupidest thing ever. It was so <laughs> dumb. It was so lame. Um, you know, you totally wasted yeah. Samuel L. Jackson's potential as a star, you know, as a Jedi. I forgot he was lame. in there. Yeah. It's yeah. just lame. I just, I, it just, it, the whole first one was just the, the second grouping second was just phase, lame. Yeah. Just the whole thing was lame. Man, this last one, man, I, it was like a, it was for like a year. I was like, man, I wonder where they're going to go with race character. It could go so many different ways. Who's her parents? What's her lineage? Where's it coming from? And then it was just like. That's really lame. <laughs> I didn't even really see the lame. third one. I just I was so over it after the second one. I was like, whatever, dude. That was a good decision on your part. Yeah, man. yeah. yeah. I, I should have stuck with my. I'm not going to see Thunder, uh, uh, Love and Thunder. But that was bad too. It was bad because uh, I, I heard it was terrible. But I was like, ah, you know, whatever. It was bad. And but I watched it on the plane coming back from the bowl game, and I was like, I really wish I would have made a better choice on this because it was awful. It was so bad. That guy man. needs to make a never ever make another Marvel movie. He has completely destroyed they, Thor's character. There's two characters in Marvel just ruined, in my opinion. As good as the franchise was up until recently, like through Endgame, yeah. the two characters they just missed so many opportunities with was was Hulk and Thor. They I, I would so much potential with those two characters. I would throw Scarlet Witch into there too, man. I hate yeah. how they did her in the in the yeah. last um What's his name? Doctor Strange yeah, movie. I, didn't I was just like, it. I didn't yeah. I was like, man, you could have done so much with that character, and you just yeah. were like, nah, we're good. Like, all right, yeah. I, I they, just, they need yeah. to just stop with Marvel for a couple years, man, and start yeah. start over with some other yes. storyline. Do a reboot. Yes, yeah, seriously. Like I didn't. The Eternals was kind of lame. I it was thought. bad. 
It just no yeah. character development. It was lame. And it could have been so cool, but that type of movie, you need to have like multiple movies leading up to that storyline. You know, Correct. like there's so many characters. You can't just force all those characters and try to develop yes. those characters in such a short time. Like, no, that's yes. not going to work. Yes. The gonna... second, the phase is a phase four, right? Is what we're in now is a yeah. phase five. Phase four, it's... from what I saw so far, has been ter- the only one that I've seen of the of the new ones that I liked was actually uh, Black Widow. I actually thought that was pretty good. Her sister's character was hilarious. Yeah. In that. Like she was, she was uh, really good. Have you seen Shang-Chi? And the, yes, that one was, that was good. good. That, that was, was good. good. Yep. That's, that's one. I forgot about that one. That one was yeah. pretty good. I like that one. That's yeah, probably my favorite of the phase so far, actually. Hawkeye was, was eh. Loki was blech. Like Loki I did not bad, like yeah. Loki at all. <laughs> Loki I watched bad. the first three or four of the captain um, uh, of the uh, Falcon and winter soldier. That was lame. Yeah. It just, like how does how does Winter Soldier go from being what he was, you know that bad butt kicker he was in there to to like what he was in that one? It's just like, with all due respect to Falcon, that guy's not, well, you know what I mean? Like, come that, on now. That was the worst part was that Wandavision. I thought really like it led up to like the Scarlet Witch's character, and I'm just like, wow, I wonder where they're going to go with that with her. Like, that's cool. And then what they did in yeah. the in the Doctor Strange, I was just like, man, that was very yeah. disappointing. How did that yeah. end? All right, yeah. cool. I, I had a feeling that was going to suck, Ryan. So I just said, yeah. you know what? I'm not going to ruin it for myself. Don't watch it, man. Don't watch it. I'm just it. not going to do it. I'm just not going to yeah. do it. Not going to do it. All right. The, the uh, That's what makes Lord of the Rings so rare and good is it got better every time. Yeah. Like most get worse. Like um, – Matrix got worse and worse and worse every single one. Like I love the original Matrix. The third one was just trash. So yeah, we'll see. Next question here, Ryan from Johnny S. Does anything about Coach Freeman and the current staff give you the idea that they will fall into the habit of playing the vets over playing the best young guys? It for me, Ryan, it's hard to say on the offensive staff because it's none of these guys have been in a position of authority before. Right. I thought that Jared Parker did a really good job getting Mitchell Evans and the freshman tight ends ready to play last year, but he had no choice. Sure. Right. I mean, he had no, he had no option. I thought that coach Stuckey did a good job with the young receivers and all that. And coach McCullough got young guys going, but again, he didn't have any choice, but to get the young guys going, but I have more evidence on offense. I would argue that they'll play younger guys over vets than we do on defense outside of Mike Mickens. I mean, cause look, they, they had sophomores pass up a veteran Chris Tyree. I mean, you know, like they they did. I mean, you saw the freshmen were kind of being groomed. They were eventually going to replace Kevin Bauman if he didn't get hurt. I mean, that just was going to happen. So I would say we see, we have more evidence there than we do there. I, I don't know enough about Joe uh, Rudolph's background at Wisconsin to say he's going to play young guys if they're ready. And be honest with you, he wasn't ever really bringing in, with all due respect to Nolan Rucci and Logan Brown, he was never bringing in freshmen as good as Charles Jagasaw. I don't care what their ranking was. Sure. Because he's so physically ready to play. Now, will he be technically? I don't know. But I would say there's more evidence from the offensive coaches that they will get they can get young guys ready to play and yeah. will play them over veteran guys, but it's very limited experience and very limited in, in that. Defensively, I have major concerns about their ability and willingness to play young guys in the front seven. Very concerned. Yeah. I was about to say on the first two levels, right? Like, yeah. You know, one guy, Brian, that I was excited about going into last season that you never saw was like Alexander Ahrensberger. I'm like, yeah. where did that guy go, man? Did I he know. like disappear? I, I don't right. understand. I mean, he was solid is in 2021, yeah. I thought. I thought so too. Yeah. I was like, oh, another year of maturation, getting more good weight on. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. He wasn't so, hurt. 
You didn't see a bunch of young guys on the defensive line. You didn't see any of the young guys pretty much on linebacker until later in the season when they kind of had to a little bit and they right. kind of got forced. Like, right. yeah, you just didn't see it, man. Just didn't see Much it. more concerned about that side of the ball. No yeah. doubt about it. Scott Yerbeck with a super, with a, not a super chat, excuse me, with a question. He says, what makes a lineman a good center? When we recruit a lineman, is there a plan to have that recruit be a center or is it something that needs to be taught? Let you take a shot at that, right? Yeah. I mean, so I think that this trickles down from the NFL draft side of things to like the how you're basing this on recruiting. But when I see a center, when I mean, one is like the the intelligence side of thing, right? Like there has to be a mental capacity to kind of help, you know, set protections, do all type of stuff. But that's something a little further down the line, like from a long term perspective. I look for quick burst athleticism off the line of scrimmage, the ability to transition up to the second level smoothness and understanding of angles. I, those are things that I always look for in a center because on there's going to be a lot of times that a center is uncovered. And when they're uncovered, even if they're comboing, that means that he's going to be kind of most likely the guy that works up to the second level. So you need guys that have kind of that quick twitch explosiveness off the snap. You need guys that also have an understanding of like, hey, man, I'm snapping, so I have to get one hand on a guy, but also maintain balance to get that second hand on throughout the, the entirety of the block. But I think the main thing for me is that like body types can differ so much, you know, like you'll see a, a guy like Zeke Carell, who's around like six foot three, a little bit stumpier. Then you'll see a guy like a Josh, Joshua Myers that played at Ohio state. That's like a six, five kid playing center. But I think all those guys, what they have in common is that there's a, there's gotta be like a smoothness to you as an athlete. You gotta be able to get up to the second level. You gotta be able to play, once uh, you have to kind of be controlled with one part of your body comparative to both sides fully as far as like gaining extension with one arm versus two arms. So that's kind of the main things for me, Brian, is that like mostly it's that getting up to the second level, having some movement skills, quick burst off the line. Like those are some main things that I look for at center. I think it all works. I think the part about being able to snap, step and, and punch with your opposite, like to do two things at once, and step is a is a skill that not everyone can do. Uh, yeah. But when you're recruiting it, you look for guys that have fast hands and are very coordinated. That's why I, I, I like the idea of like Ashton Craig and Joe Odding because they're very athletic. I yes. love the notion of – I know it used to be where centers were kind of like physical mauler types, but I personally in today's era, you got to be physical at center, but I want a guy that can move. Yes. I, I, I really do. Now, you, you can't be a mover that can't – that that can't move people right like you've got to have some physicality but man i really i'll tell you what i really like a center that can move and and get to the next level and even pull if you need to yeah uh you know i i I think that adds so much to an offense when you have a center that's a really effective getting to the second level guy quick winning with angles and leverage and all that i i love that kind of and that's probably my bias because as a broncos fan i always felt like Tom Nalen was such an underrated yeah. center because he wasn't a butt kicker, but he was re- he was athletic. He could move. He played with great angles. He was a to me, he was one of the best centers in the league. He just never got the credit for being it. And you know, and and it's been a position that's been a bit of an issue for a long time since he left. Tom Nalen, former Hawaii Rainbow Warrior back yeah. in the day. So I mean, but that that is where the archetypes going though. I mean, if we're looking at it right, like what are this? Who are the centers that people value coming out of the draft now? They don't value. Why Creed Humphrey fell to the late second round because he's not what teams are looking for. And that's that's a fault, right? Because Creed's ended up being a very good center in the NFL. Sure. But they're looking for 
Tyler Linderbaum. Like that's the new version of the center, right? Guys that are super athletic that can pull, that can work out in space, that can get up to the second level. Like that's what centers are kind of turning into now. Like you still want the big dudes at guard because they got to play in tighter spaces, but you want length outside and foot quickness. You want more physicality in at guard, and then you want the speed at center. Like that's kind of what people are kind of looking for now. So the the archetype is kind of changing a little bit at the center position. Yep. All right, let's get to the next one. We got one from Michael Johnson. Would you rather have a Heisman winner or a 1,000-yard receiver? That's an easy one for me. Heisman, right? Heisman winner. <laughs> yeah. 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 If, if you have a well, Heisman winner, usually it's a quarterback. And if you have a quarterback that's winning a Heisman, that's usually on a really good football team, right? So, yeah. yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I would say my answer is easy if we're talking about um, if we're talking about looking at guys, Ryan, that are if we're talking about a quarterback, I would say easy. If we're talking about a running back, uh, because if a running back has a great year, you can still win the Heisman if you're a top 10-ish team, if you have monster numbers. But I think the way the Notre Dame's roster is built, I think we're probably talking about a quarterback there. And I would I would go I would go there. Because again, if he's a Heisman Trophy winner, you don't need a thousand yard receiver. It means you're spreading the ball around like crazy and you're right. winning a ton of games. Because quarterbacks win Heisman's by either putting up stupid numbers or by being on a playoff team, basically. That's really right. what it boils down to. That's and uh, or a or a team that's a playoff team until the very end. I mean, if if USC beats Utah. And most of the Heisman votes were already in by then. I mean, you know, I mean, no, none of the deadline wasn't until like after the championship games, right? But yeah. most people have their votes in. You can send your votes in early. Most people have their votes in by then. You know, but he was going into championship weekend, Caleb Williams, with a chance to first team to be a playoff team. Yes. Right. Well, if he was at Notre Dame, they're a playoff team because they don't have that conference championship game to to knock him out. They would have probably jumped in at that point in time, I would think. So uh yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. And, and if and if a guy is putting up crazy numbers, a quarterback, to your point, like at Notre Dame, if they're doing that, that means you're probably winning a lot of football exactly. games, right? So exactly. like those are kind of synonymous exactly. together. <laughs> exactly. Next question from Archer four five two. How would you guys rank the rosters of Notre Dame and their three biggest opponents? So that would now I assume he's talking about for this season, so not rivalry. So we're going to go Ohio State, Clemson, and USC. So yeah. rate the rosters top to bottom. You have to have depth and you have to have star power. And I think that's the combination. For me, Ryan, I'll let your head turn a little bit. It's Ohio State yep. one, Notre Dame two. 
USC three and Clemson four. USC Clemson lost a lot of talent off their team last year, and I don't know if they necessarily have guys ready to step in and replace them. Yeah, that's the difference. Like Notre Dame, I feel like with Jordan Patojo and and Josh Burnham, they're they're going to be okay at Viper. I don't know that Clemson has anyone ready to step in and be anything like what Brian Bercy was or what Miles Murphy was. Maybe Miles Murphy, maybe. But like Trenton Simpson, I don't like Clemson's young talent linebacker coming up. I don't. I don't think the linebackers have been coached well. I think Trenton Simpson did not make the jump with Venables gone. I don't like their secondary talent, although their freshman class last year was pretty talented. Their receiver talent is not what it used to be. They're, they have one good running back. Notre Dame has five. And I love Cade Klubnik, but in 2023, I'm not taking him over Sam Hartman. I just offensive line wise, Notre Dame has better talent there. I think Clemson has a better defensive line talent, and I'd probably still give him. I'd still give him the edge at linebacker for what we know right now. But if you're going to bring in, you know, what we know that's going to play this year, but I don't know if there's another position I'm giving Clemson the advantage over Notre Dame. Yeah, we we would have the first same top two: Ohio State, Notre Dame. I think I might flip Clemson to three over USC just because I, I think that I think Caleb Williams masks a little bit of the talents yep. there. I mean, the Especially offensive defense. line. Yeah, I think the offensive line's not great. I think it's okay. Defensively, I don't think it's great. I, I still think Clemson has a lot of talent. I just I, I just question, you know, obviously the coordinator spots for that team, especially this past year. I, I mean, I hope that they kind of take a step forward because I know obviously there was a change on the offensive side of the football. So hopefully it takes a nice step, but I mean, you still have guys, right? Like you have the Williams kid at wide receiver who's a good player. Shipley. I know the right tackle that they had, what was his name? Barrett Miller was the right tackle for Clemson. Yeah. He was talented. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. I think that top to bottom, there's more depth on Clemson's roster. It's just that the separator is that, Caleb Williams is a quarterback for one team. So I'd probably go yeah. Clemson then USC. I'd, I'd give I'd give USC the advantage at quarterback because I'm gonna talk this through. Cause yeah. I, I don't I don't offhand, oh gosh, Ryan, you're wrong. I gave you my gut, you gave me your gut. So let's talk it through, right? Sure. Uh, I give Clemson the ed- or, excuse me. I give USC the edge of quarterback, yep. starter and depth. I give I give Clemson, I give, excuse me, I give USC the edge at running back with an asterisk uh, of Marshawn Lloyd's got to be healthy. But I believe Austin Jones is returning to that group too. And he was pretty he good is. last year. He is, uh, yeah. I don't like the depth. I don't I'm, Phil Moffa is just kind of a depth guy for me. He's, they, he's just they, okay. They got, they got Kobe Pace coming back from injury though, I think. He's yeah, he's, he's good. But yeah. I, I think USC's guys are to me, every bit is pr- more proven than the Clemson guys is better. It's not a huge difference. But I, I've always thought Austin Jones had talent. He just played behind a bad offensive line. And when he finally got a shot last year at USC, I thought he did pretty well. Uh, you know, I think that Will Shipley's better than him. Right. But I think the depth there with Marshawn Lloyd coming in is better at USC. Receiver-wise, I give I give USC the advantage there as well. I know that I like Williams. I mean, Bo Collins has got some ability. They got – to me, it depends on how big of a jump their freshman class makes now in year two. If Adam Fuller, if Adam Randall can really have a jump this year, then I think that's where Clemson could maybe get in the conversation of being better than USC. I don't think USC's receiving course is going to be as good as it was last year. With all due respect to the kid they got from Arizona, he's not as good as Jordan Addison. Dorian Stinger? Yeah. Yeah, or he's Singer? just not. Singer. He's just yeah. not. And Mario Williams is a great athlete, but he's never proven to be a great wide receiver yet. And so – 
but I'd still give them the edge there. Tight end, I'd give the edge to Clemson. Offensive yeah. line, I'd give the edge to Clemson. And I would argue that the Clemson edge on offensive line is bigger than any gap that USC has anywhere else at the skill positions okay. over Clemson. Defensively, that's where it gets interesting. D-line, Clemson for sure, even with all the guys they've lost. Linebacker, it's close, actually. I'd, and I, I, would, I would lean Clemson. towards – I would. Well, who does USC have – who does Clemson have coming back? They have Jeremiah Trotter Jr. and Barrett right. Carter both coming back. Okay. All right. I think they've got the McGuire kid is who's probably going to step into the other spot. Possibly, yeah. yeah. He'll he'll be a battle, but he's 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 got a shot to do it. When I look at USC, Ryan, actually, I got to I got I know that Eric Gentry comes back. Are, is Shane Lee back? I don't know. Shane, Shane Lee's, Lee's back. back. Yeah. Yep, Shane Lee's back. And so you know he's a solid football player. I'm not a big Trotter fan, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I think you and I have talked about that before. I, I like Barrett Carter a lot. Yeah, but I'm not a big. I'm not. I mean, he's good, but I think he's a tad overrated. But I'm not. A, I, I'm like, not much of a fan of Gentry. I don't really yeah. think he's very. He's okay. Good. <laughs> they use. You know what I like about Gentry, Ryan? They mm-hmm. use him well, in my opinion. Like they don't ask him to be a traditional linebacker. They let him kind of run around. I think Mason Cobb was a solid pickup from Oklahoma State as far as depth at linebacker. Uh, Shane Lee's a solid player. I think USC's got some guys there. None, neither of them are going to be great at linebacker this year. Uh, Clemson, to me, I would say has the best linebacker of of all of them in, yeah. in Barrett Carter. But I think USC has better size and better depth. And secondary, they both suck. Hmm. I mean – Neither of them are good in the secondary, in my opinion. I'd probably give the edge to Clemson. There. Clemson definitely has more talent. Yeah. But they're yeah, freshman, to your point, they're, they're rising not. sophomore yeah. class, and the secondary, Ryan, has a chance to be pretty good down yeah. the road. Uh, USC's secondary. So, I mean, I, I so again, there I give more advantages to USC than Clemson for me, but I, I think that Clemson has the advantage in, in two really important areas. There's three really important areas where you talk about advantages, quarterback and then the lines, and Clemson has an advantage in two of those three. So I think that could maybe trump the number of positions where you give USC, which is like by one, right? Running back, receiver, tight end, uh, linebacker, or quarterback, and then you, uh, Clemson, O-line, D-line, secondary, and then let's say let's call linebacker a wash. How about that? Uh, you, is that fair compromise? I think Clemson I would still, I would still, I would still it's take a com- it's a compromise. I'm trying to compromise with you. Okay. I think it's better. You think it's better. It's not very, it's not a big difference in my opinion, either way. So, so I'm trying to, you get able to compromise with that one. Say that's a, we can, sure. we can call it a wash. So you, so Clemson has the advantage and USC has the advantage in one more position than Clemson does. But here's the, here's the Trump card to me where I think you can make a case for Clemson is they have the advantage in both lines, and I don't think it's close, yeah. in my opinion. Now, USC's line last year could be in that competition, but they lost Nealon, they lost Voorhees. The guys they got coming in are okay. I do like that guard from Florida. He's okay. But again, yeah. O-line's not a position I want to throw a bunch of new guys in. Like last year, you had one transfer, but everybody else was guys that had played. Monheim had played the year before. Uh, you know, Nealon was a six-year guy. Voorhees was a six-year guy. You had a lot of continuity their line's going to look a lot different this year. And it was good last year, but it wasn't great last year. It was a little overhyped. Yeah. I think it's going to, and I think Clemson's is ascending. You had Barrett Miller's, I believe a true freshman last year. Correct. So. Uh, Tristan yeah. Lee is a talented player. Uh, Walker parks is a talented player. So it's got a chance. Um, Will Putnam's solid. 
He's a solid player too. So I don't think it's really close on the lines, Ryan, for me. Yeah. And, and I don't think the kid they got from, was it uh, Purdue or Wake Forest? or Which which one did USC get? They get the Purdue kid or the Wake Forest kid? They got the oh, Purdue kid. The defensive they? ends? Defensive mm-hmm. ends, you mean? Yeah, um, yeah I think so. Jack the, Sullivan, um, right? Then they get Jack Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah, Sullivan. And they got yeah. Anthony Lucas. But those Lucas is okay. I mean, excuse me, Sullivan's okay. Lucas has tons of talent, but he didn't do anything for Texas A&M last year. He's got to prove yeah. himself. Clemson exactly. to me still has the advantage, but I don't think it's I don't think it's as big as the offensive line advantage, as in my opinion. It, it was it was big for Clemson to get back the um, Rook, whatever his name is, the yes. defensive tackle, and Tyler Davis when came back. That was good for yeah. them. Yeah. The, the the thing for me is what could give what what allow Clemson for me to buy into the argument is I need to see how much jump and how much growth Cade Klubnik makes this year because right now the get, get the quarterback gap is wide. Sure. It could be good, but you're talking about USC's got the Heisman winner. Yep. And I think that's where I would have to I would have to give him the edge there. But I think it's debatable. That's the thing I think, Ryan. But neither of them to me have Notre Dame's. No, I think Notre Dame's talent. Kind of talented across yeah. the board. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, USC Notre Dame quarterback, it's USC, but it's a much narrower gap this year than it was last year. Sure. Running back, I give the edge to Notre it's Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. Wide receiver, I'd give the edge to USC right now from a proven talent standpoint, but I don't know if it will be that way by the time these teams, two teams play. Is that fair? Sure. Yes. Tight end, I would give the edge to Notre Dame. Would you Would you go there? I don't, even, I, I don't even know who the tight end is for yeah. USC. So yeah. I didn't really use them. Yeah. Uh, offensive line, big 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 advantage for Notre Dame. Yes. Linebacker, surprisingly, I I, I think it's it, I'd probably say it's a wash right now. Yeah. I think probably give USC the slight edge just yeah, from a production standpoint. Side. Yep. Uh, but I think Notre Dame could overcome that. Secondary, it's not close. It's definitely yeah. Notre Dame by a, by a mile. D-line's the interesting one, Ryan, because I'd probably give the edge to Notre Dame right now because USC, to me, has some guys that need to prove themselves. USC lost – the guy they lost is going to be more impactful of a loss than what Notre Dame lost. With, and, and this yeah. doesn't mean that Isaiah Foskey's not a really good player. He is. He's a better player than Thule, in my opinion. But Thule meant a lot more to that defensive line than what Foskey – even more than what Foskey meant to Notre Dame's. And I'm a lot more confident in what they have to replace Isaiah Foskey than what they're going to be replacing him with, in my opinion. Sure. Yeah. And overall, that, other than that, I think the Notre Dame defensive line is better, mm-hmm. in my view. So I, I would certainly feel good about saying Notre Dame is number two. The difference between Notre Dame and USC last year was coaching and quarterback. That's it. And I thought Notre Dame didn't play well. I thought they played kind of bad. Didn't have Cam Hart. Didn't have Tariq Bracey. And you still went out there, and if Drew Pine doesn't just – have two terrible turnovers you got a shot to go out and win that game as, as you pointed out and didn't even play well yep so that's where i would be with uh with that one it's good questions there that was a very interesting discussion ryan very interesting discussion i thought it was anyway you don't you don't look overly entertained but what? i thought it was. <laughs> john mayernich question of the century what oilers titans running back do you take to build your franchise around uh earl campbell eddie george Derek Henry and Chris Johnson. One of those guys to me does not belong in this conversation, and that is Chris Johnson. In my, I opinion. loved, I love CJ two K man. Yeah. He was a good player. He was a good player. It's Earl Campbell though. I mean, my my old I, one of my oldest memories. Obviously, I wasn't alive, but I remember watching a YouTube video where he jumped over the line, got his jersey ripped, and then he put his helmet right in the middle of a, a LA Rams linebacker's chest. I think it was Isaiah Robertson who made a Pro Bowl, by the way. Like. Isaiah Robertson was a pretty good football player. Earl Campbell was just a monster, man. <laughs> like, he was just insane. He was such a monster that 
his NFL career did not last that long because he just right. he, he seeked contact, man. But he was an animal, absolute animal. A George was a really good, was a really good football player, but he was much more college greats than NFL great. Like he was a good NFL player. I wouldn't say he was a great NFL He's player. About a though. thousand yards more for his career than Earl Campbell did, and he has more thousand yard seasons. Yeah, but he averaged like three yards a carry during his yeah. career or something. It was like yeah, that's something. true. Yeah. A three point six. Yeah, yeah, three point six. Earl was at four point three. If, if if I had to rank that, I'd probably go Earl Campbell, Derrick Henry, Eddie George, Chris Johnson, I guess. Actually, eh, Chris Johnson might be third. I don't know. To me, the thing about Derrick Henry is he's still incomplete, right? It's So it's kind of unfair to compare him to guys who played their entire careers. But I, I'll be honest, his, th- his three – if he didn't get hurt – I'll say this. If he didn't get hurt last year in 2021 and would have played that whole season – I mean, he he had 937 yards and 10 touchdowns, Ryan, in eight games. Yep. He was on pace for another monster season. If he doesn't get hurt, uh, he's my number two. I'm going to be honest with you because his that four-year stretch that he's – or five-year stretch that he's on right now, in, in his last year, he had a down year last year, Ryan, from what everybody tells me. Dude had 1,538 yards and 13 touchdowns and also had 398 yards receiving. Had a career high in, in receiving yards by almost 200 yards. Right, like I'd love to have a running back for the Broncos that has a down year with seventeen hundred yards of total offense <laughs> and, and scores, uh, and scores what is it, uh, thirteen touchdowns? Give me that problem for the Broncos, please. You know what I mean? He's on a heck of a run right now. So I think if he wouldn't have got hurt last year, I would argue that you you could you, I would say hey I might have to argue for him being being there, and I think you could still even make a case, but it would be no brainer is what I'm trying to say if he didn't get hurt last year. Because that five-year stretch of, let's just say he slows down a little bit the second half of the year and only finishes with 1,600 yards, which is two uh, over 200 yards, or uh, yeah, be uh, well over 200 yards below what the average would be by just doubling it, you know, and say he only played 16 games on 17. Guy was on pace for over t- almost 2,000 yards again, Ryan. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. And uh, and had 10 touchdowns in eight games. So he's had 12, 16, 17, 10, and 13 touchdowns the last five years. Like, that's really impressive. Eddie George, as much as I like him, had two years where he had 10-plus rushing touchdowns. Now, part of that too, Ryan, if we're going to be fair, was the fact that he also had a quarterback that was a um, a, a much better runner than – I say better runner because Ryan Tannehill is really athletic, but a more productive runner. I should say than what Ryan Tannehill is in the current game. I mean, Steve, Steve McNair had over 3,500 career rushing yards in some of those years that those two guys played together. I mean, Steve McNair has taken some of those touchdowns away from Eddie George. That that's gotta be part of the conversation too. When you're just looking at touchdowns, but the 3.6 yards per carry is the one that gets me is the yeah, thing that always has gotten me about it's it. Low. Archer four five. He played on some good teams too. It wasn't he like did. he played on a bunch of trash yeah. teams either. Yeah, he did. Well, it's just it was the style of of how they ran them. Archer four five two. Which position group most consistently as lower rated guys coming out of high school outperformed their rankings, or otherwise stated, which position is the most difficult to rank in high school? I don't, I don't know if I would. F- so my answer is offensive line, but I don't think it's necessarily the difficulty in ranking them. It's twofold for me, Ryan. You tell me if you disagree. Number one is I think a lot of evaluators at, at the do we don't know how to rank offensive linemen. They see a 315 pound guy that just destroys people and they oh, really good five star. Where P 
people that know how to do this can look at a guy that and say, hey, that guy kills people, but he's got slow feet and he can't bend. So in college, like the kid that went to LSU a couple of years ago, there's a five-star player. And I'm like, God, this guy is this fellas, this guy's not it. Um, some it was a Turner, I'm trying to remember what his name was. But Charles Turner? No, it start, first name started with a K. I'm gonna have to try somebody that's a recruit Nick, please. Please help me out with this one. Oh, Cardell Thomas? Are you talking about Cardell Thomas? That might have been it. That might have yeah. been it. He but, was the big uh, boy, right? Like big, big boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just he was a five star and I just I just didn't see it. I just was like, Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it, y'all. I just I don't see what you see. Uh and and but he was just big and just would destroy people in high school. There was another guy, uh first name was Julian. I forget what his last name was, but he went to um he went to uh, Washington, I believe, and a lot of other. Oh, he's really good players, top hundred guy. And I was like, he. I, I told somebody one time. I said, do me a favor, when you're watching him play, watch only his hips and feet. Don't watch the upper body. Don't watch any of that. Just watch his hips and feet. I was like, yeah, I see what you're saying now. Like he can't move his hips and feet, but he was six seven, three hundred ten pounds. He just destroy people at the high school level. The other part of this too, Ryan, is a lot of these guys that become. Uh, really good NFL players, zero stars, two stars. They weren't anything but that in high school coming out. I mean, they were three-star guys coming out because they were 250. You know, yeah. they 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 needed time to develop. They had they were awkward. They hadn't grown into their body yet. Things like that where, you know, Joe Alt shouldn't have been ranked as a five-star coming out of high school cuz he he had a I mean, he was 250, 216-pound tight end. He needed that time to grow. You could see the upside, but he was he shouldn't have been ranked higher coming out of high school because he wasn't there yet. Now, I gave him a four-and-a-half-star upside grade, and that appears that I undersold that. I should have given him a five-star upside grade of what we've seen. But you saw the upside, but you shouldn't get put a guy in the top 100 just because of upside. Sure. And so I think there's a lot of that, too. A lot of these guys that just – they they, they uh, like I, when I was at Duquesne, they had a kid that was coming out. He's an offensive lineman. Probably you probably don't remember him, but he, he got some NFL looks. He's like 6'5", 310 pounds. And I was like, how did this guy who's getting NFL looks end up at a 1AA school? And they said, because he was 220 pounds coming out of high school. He just blew up in college. I mean, just, the answer, man. Nobody missed on him. He just wasn't that guy coming out of high school. So offensive line to me has the biggest body changes, growth spurts, those type of things that happen to guys where you just don't see that at receiver and quarterback and running back and other positions. So I think that's what makes offensive line the biggest difference. And then the final piece, Ryan, is a lot of offensive linemen just don't know how to play the game yet. They're just – they got some guy who's the local accountant teaching him how to play offensive line. And he does his best, but kid's not being coached. So I think that's that's been a part of it as well. And they don't have the offensive line camps like they have seven-on-sevens and things like that year-round. They have some, but it's not to the degree that these things are. So those are my reasons why I think offensive line is that answer. Well, I mean, I think that you see that – you see that pathway for a lot of offensive linemen on the NFL level and then into the college level is that – like. A lot of offensive line, offensive tackles, especially on the NFL level, were former high school tight ends. Like they were, you know, guys that had developed. You just mentioned Joe Alt. I remember Spencer Brown that came out of Northern Iowa a couple years ago. He showed up at campus at 6'8", 220 pounds to Northern Iowa as a high school tight end. He leaves as a 6'8", 320-pound offensive tackle, right? Where it's like that kid literally had zero stars coming out of high school, but that's the trend that you see with a lot of these guys, man, because I think what people undersell about, especially NFL offensive linemen is that like 
really good athletes, man. Like you have the Lane Johnsons of the world running four seven. You have the the Teron Armsteads of the world running the four sevens. You just had a kid out of BY, Blake Freelands, who you know, Blake Freelands, who's a high school tight end quarterback, is now a three hundred pounder that had a thirty seven inch vertical. Man, like those aren't normal dudes. Like you know why they're not normal? Because they weren't three hundred pounds in high school. Like. You're not supposed to be 300 pounds in high school. That's why it's like a weird thing, right. you know, like the development side of things. So I think you nailed it, man. I think it's all offensive line. I do. It, Cause it's just people fall too much in love with the, the highlight tape on offensive linemen. Right. Like, I think that's why people miss out on, like there was one kid that is going to Utah. Well, actually there's two kids that are going to Utah this year in the 2023 class, Spencer Fano and Caleb Lomu. They are both going to be very good players, in my opinion. I think they were slightly overlooked a little bit throughout most of the process because they were 6'5", 6'6", 265, 270 pounds instead of your 300-pounders, right? So Utah got a couple studs. I mean, Caleb Lomu went up to the the San Antonio, the All-Star game, the the All-American Bowl, and he was one of the best offensive linemen there. And then I saw after the event, he's ranked as a top 100 player now, you know, like – that stuff happens all but the time. But you had always thought that, Ryan. You'd come oh, to me like, good, hey, man. I think Notre Dame needs to recruit this guy. Yeah. yeah. Spencer Fano's a good player, man. He's a good player. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Here, a couple comments here. John Manners, the Earl Campbell-Jack Tatum collision might be the best of all time. And then he says that collision in the Nigerian Nightmare and Steve Atwater was, was good as well. Yeah. Those were two. At- Atwater pretty much ended uh, Christian Akoye's career yes, on that he did. Play, So Yes, yeah. he did. And he, the best part about it, he was mic'd up. That was the best part about it. You know what I mean? He was mic'd up for that game. So that made I, I love added to it. I love when they showed Okoye's uh, a workout that he did before the combine. He was like 6'3", 260, ran like 4'6 flats. Like what, yeah. dude? All right. <laughs> he made Barry Word the small back on that team. That was the that was the crazy part. Like that – they actually had the, – they had two good – people forget this. Like it, well, it, unless you played Tecmo Bowl. If you played Tecmo Bowl, you remember that. But remember, Barry Ward was like 6'2", 240 as the other, the small back on that group. They were monsters on Tecmo Bowl, man. You cannot yeah. stop that combo. Oh, you, you, could, you couldn't tackle you couldn't tackle Krishna Koya in that game. No, no, you could not. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Here's here's an interesting one from John Mayernich, Ryan. I think this is an easy one, actually. I think it is. I'm curious if you agree. Who do you take, Marshall Falk, Roger Craig, or Christian McCaffrey? Am I, am I supposed to order these or who would I take? Who would you who take? I, yeah, I think Mar- it's easy. Marshall Falk. Yeah, I think close. so too. Marshall Falk, yeah. How about, okay, I draft him first. got to pick second. Of the next two, who do you take? If health isn't a concern, it's Christian McCaffrey for me personally. Yeah. I mean, that tell kid's me why, tell, tell me why. Did you just do Roger Craig a little before your time? Or do you I, mean, I remember Roger Craig, man. Roger Craig was like 6'2", 210, 215 for San Francisco. Really good all-purpose back. He was the first 1,000, if I remember correctly. Yep. McCaffrey, I, I just think that there was a little bit more of that kind of twitch. You know, like Craig was a really nice – one cut smooth dude, but McCaffrey, I think, is just a little more all around, in my opinion. So that's kind of why I picked him. The reason I would go with Craig is because of what you said, injuries are a factor. And McCaffrey hasn't been able to stay healthy. And Craig, for the most part, did. But if if you take injuries out, then I, I do agree. I think I think Christian McCaffrey's more of a natural running back. Yeah. In my opinion. A little bit a little bit more than Roger Craig was. But it's it's picking between two really good, really good football players. Last couple here, Ryan, from Shamrocks and Shenanigans. What's the probability the staff takes a transfer guard a la Michigan in 2021? 
Olawatimi was the missing piece for Michigan. That would actually be in 2022 is when they took him. Yeah. Um, but uh, Sean and I addressed this the other day, Ryan. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. I, I mean, look, if there's somebody out there that's good enough to compete, I'm fine with it, man. I'm fine with it. As long as there's a clear understanding of you have to come in and you have to compete for a starting job. Because there's going to be guys that are coming open and – especially after spring practice where there's going to be opportunities to maybe take another look at the transfer portal. We know that. Right. But for me, like I'm very content with what the job, what the talent is in the room though. So if Notre Dame doesn't get a grad transfer card, I could care less. Like I really could. Cause I think that they have enough dudes, but if there's somebody out that comes open, man, where you're like, that guy's someone who is as, as good as Olawatimi was, who was sure. without question, Virginia's best offensive lineman in a position yeah. of need for Michigan. That was a really good signing for them. Yep. But I don't know who that guy is right now. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm not. I mean, here, here's the thing for me. I need to see how spring goes first. Right now, you and I are on the same page. But if we come out of the spring, and you're like, yeah, that was not that was not what I hoped it would be. Then sure. then, yeah, you you look into the portal. But for now, I'm good with where they are. Yeah. If the spring doesn't go well or there's a major injury and maybe the guards aren't really giving you what you want to see, then maybe you look at the portal. But right now, I'm comfortable with where they are. Because it's no slander, but like when that whole thing about like them looking at Mason Lunsford and stuff, right? Like, right. I watched his film a little bit. I'm just like, that wouldn't be a guy that I would target. Right. Like, I don't think that that's a guy that you need to sacrifice cohesion right. for letting well, the young I guys mean, play. Body type is very similar to to Josh Lugs, Ryan, and I I didn't I didn't see a whole lot of difference in the ability. Yeah, like, I just I didn't. Little little lumbering, not a great yeah. athlete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't quite understand that one, to be completely honest with you. So yeah, we'll see. So I think I think that is the last question that we had, Ryan. Was no, here we go. What is your favorite combo sport to go with football? Does it change with positions? So I think he's looking at oh. what combo position you like for recruits. And yeah, the answer is first of all, yes, it does change with position. Now, with that being said, Ryan, go ahead and give it a give it a shot as far as answering that question i like offensive lineman defensive lineman always with wrestling that always works offensive tackles i actually do like i mean i'd be honestly okay with basketball or track and field if they're a thrower in the discus discus specifically like that that really gives a lot of balance and foot quickness but i think wrestling is the most translatable to both offensive and defensive line quarterback baseball as long as they're not a not a pitcher. I think pitcher mechanics kind of mess it up a little bit, but if they're like a middle infielder, like shortstop. awesome. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me a guy that's a shortstop or yes. a center fielder. Like, like Russell Wilson, for instance. Yeah. Like that's the type of guy. Tyler Wide Murray is an outfielder too, right? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Wide receivers, track or basketball or both. Running backs, track or basketball or both. Defensive backs, track or basketball or both. <laughs> Linebackers, wrestling. You know what my new one is for linebackers? Lacrosse. It's a good one. Good lacrosse one. or basketball? Because as I've learned, as I've watched more lacrosse, when you see more guys playing it, the 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 agility and conditioning you need to be good at lacrosse is really something I like, and I think good for 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 those type of guys. It also is a physical contact sport, and I always want them in that mindset of being physical. The ones you said are fine. Yeah. Just for me, I that's a sport that I've come, become more and more a fan of watching uh, of those kids doing it. I actually think lacrosse could be a decent sport for receivers as well because you have to have such good hand eye coordination to. Ca- I've, I've tried catching a lacrosse ball; it's not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> 
would be one, but I think linebacker is really the only one that I would say for sure. Linebacker and running back, I think I'd be okay with a kid playing lacrosse, to be honest with you, if he didn't want to run track. Um, soccer is another one too. Soccer for me is, is a, is a sport where I think as a young, as for young kids is a sport. I would, I would have almost every kid play as a youngster, like middle school, elementary school. Cause I think it's good. It's, you know, it works on hand-eye coordination, conditioning, getting used to running. I don't think it brings as much value once you get older for cross train sports, but I think it's great for just development of young athletes, at a really young age. And so I think so soccer would be that, but once you get into middle school and high school, it doesn't bring as much value to me sure. as others. So that's my, that's my take on that one, Ryan. And basketball is a sport. I think is good for any, any kid to be honest with you, because the the conditioning of footwork needed. I mean, we're seeing more and more offensive linemen that are basketball players and you get to see that the footwork and how they move and all that is, I mean, I learned a lot about Joe Odding watching him play basketball, you know, and it was like, Oh, this kid's got really good feet, which you don't always necessarily see in the football because of how they use them. Sure. You don't see the change of direction and all that. So I think that's another one as well. So I thought that was, I think that was an interesting one. So yeah, very much so. Well, Ryan, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, let me hold on a second. We got one here from, from, uh, from Archer four, five, two. He says Bama is taking heat for lying on their players. Measurables, having many players listed taller than what the combine had them at. Is that dirty common practices or both? Mostly common uh, it, practice, yes. mostly. And yeah. and if you're an NFL team and you're caught off guard by a guy's actual height and weight at the combine, you aren't doing your job. Ryan, <laughs> you you're always telling me what the measurements are for players because there's there's services that go out and take those measurements and send them to the NFL teams. So the only people getting upset about that are reporters and fans. Yeah, just NFL teams are not getting shocked by this. And, and honestly, it's not Alabama's job to make the media happy. Like, I don't care. It's, I mean, do I think it's dumb to inflate weights and sure, but it's like, but what's the point? But at the end of the day, I don't care. And and I don't think it's dirty. I don't think it's something they should, I don't, I don't think it's lying. I mean, technically it's lying, I guess, but it's just like, who cares? Yeah. There's so much going on in our country right now. The stuff that some people choose to get pissed off about these days, Ryan really makes me laugh. It doesn't give you an advantage to be listed bigger or smaller on a roster. <laughs> like at the end of the day, when you're between the lines, you are what you are. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that just is right. what it is. So, and if a kid is intimidated by someone's listed height and weight, then he's not that good anyway, and you're not going to win anyway. Yep. So, but yeah. it happens all the time. I will give Notre Dame a lot of credit though for their roster. They are very consistent with the heights and weights, which is always yeah. nice to see. Yep. Yeah. We'll see how, we'll see how plant pans out. So anyway, that now that is definitely going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Hit that like button, folks, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, check out our merch down at those, at the, down in the description box below. You can also see a link to our new daily newsletter that goes out. And of course, as always, Ryan, you know what they got to do. It's the message boards, boards at irishbreak.com. Check that out folks and have a phenomenal rest of your day. Thanks for being with us, folks, on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.